Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. I'm Anthony T, and in this edition I will be talking to directors Adam Ambrosio and Jameson Lacazio as they have a new film out called How Doc They Pray, which is available on Amazon Prime. I'll also talk about my time at CT Horror Fest for those who don't listen to Two From Hell, as I'll give more of a detailed personal experience I had. And in What's Anthony T Watching, I'm gonna get high. As I review James Balsamo's latest film from Dust to Bang. But first, I've been away for a month. There's a reason for it. I recently launched a site, more of a companion site, to the podcast. And it also involves the rebranding of the YouTube channel. Because for a long time, the YouTube channel has been just Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling podcast. Most recently, I decided I wanted to add the Two From Hell podcasts onto YouTube. Me and my co-host were talking about adding that to the YouTube as well. Instead of creating a new channel, which would have been more difficult... As I really don't feel like creating channels. I like to keep track of my channels. Two accounts on YouTube. Instead of doing a third one. I decided to just rebrand the YouTube channel. Then I was floating with the idea of. Oh I want to write reviews again. Because I used to be a blogger. Before going into podcasting. So I decided. You know what. I'll just. Rebrand everything into one and call it Film Arcade Media. It's a play of the original website I used to run called FilmArcade.net. Now, the reason I called this Film Arcade Media because it's a hybrid site. You have film news of films that deal with action, comedy, horror, sci-fi, all that stuff. You have my reviews of films. And you have the podcast. I haven't decided what I'm doing with the news portion yet, as it could be just an indie film site. Because I really have thought about it, of just doing an indie film site this time, not worrying about all these major films. Because, quite frankly, that's what keeps me going, personally. That's why I do the podcast, because of independent films. It's what got me into films... In the first place, all these independent films in the 1990s, the Quentin Tarantino films, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Kevin Smith, Clerks, Robert Rodriguez, El Mariachi, those films. And literally, I keep seeing, in my view, these films not getting the just coverage that they are getting. So I decided to make it a focal point that indie films will be on the website, regardless of genre. I'll try to post at least a couple news stories twice a week. It depends on everything with podcasts and all that stuff, because the podcasts do come first, because this is a film arcade media production. We are staying with Doc Discussions on the audio side, so you will still be able to hear the podcast on DocDiscussions.com. I want to do... An indie film site. And I want to review indie films. Right now I'm reviewing at least two indie films for the site. One is a major indie film. Which I'll tell about 
at the end of the podcast. The other one is a major underground indie film, which I'll also tell about at the end of the podcast. But I wanted to do this because I love indie films. I can't wait to do more with this site. So definitely check out filmarcademedia.com. With that, let's start off with the news. And it's October and it's Halloween month, meaning it's all horror. It's back to the old school days. The horror show, everyone. Unless there's a con preview, which is up in the air at the moment. This is the horror show, Anthony T's horror show. I was going to lead the news with something else, but since this guy has made news, I have to take time out of this podcast and the news portion because, yes, the most talked about topic of the podcast, Jason Blum and Blumhouse Productions has a new movie coming out, and it's pretty major. If you're a video game fan, for me, I have no idea what this is about, seriously. But I know a lot of people are into this video game series. Jason Blum recently announced that the popular video game Five Nights at Freddy's is going to stop production next year. Now, there's been rumors about this film for a while. Like every other film that's been rumored. Like Spawn Reboot, The Crow Reboot, Trick or Treat 2. All these films have been rumored. And it looks like Five Nights at Freddy is coming to theaters probably next year at some point. Scott Cawthon is developing a film adaptation for quite a while, and Jason Blum has finally gotten through the obstacles and everything, and it has a director attached to it. He tweeted recently that it begins early next year, February 2023 to be exact. So most likely we will probably see this film next year at some point. The director is Emma Tammy, who directed a film called The Wind, which is a horror western which was released in 2018. I haven't seen this film, so I can't give you if this was a good decision or a bad decision. But it's nice that Jason Blum is giving unknown directors a chance. Especially with a film that is pretty much a high-profile film with Five Nights at Freddy's. But this has been a property that's been rumored since 2015 to be a theatrical film. It first started at Warner Brothers. That never happened. Then we heard no news of it for a while. Until Jason Blum tweeted it. Jason Blum has his next horror property lined up alongside The Exorcist. Because I got a feeling this will be a big property for Blumhouse Productions. As this is gonna pretty much be a big deal. People have been wanting to see this film be adapted for a while. Now, it looks like 
production is about ready to start on this film. And they also included in the news that Jim Henson's Creature Shop is hard at work working on the animatronic monsters for the film. So it's going to be an interesting film, to say the least. This has been a long time coming. I know you video game fans have been wanting to see some sort of film adaptation of this popular video game. Me, I have no clue what it is. Seriously. Because I'm not into video games. I'm not into Five Nights at Freddy's. Or what's the big deal of this. Because I see merchandise for this all over the place. And I still can't figure out the big deal over it. But maybe it's me because I'm not that big of a video game person. Which is cool. To me it looks like Willy's Wonderland. Which came out last year. You know, the one with Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. That film. So, if it's anything like that, I'll probably enjoy the film. Quite frankly. Because I enjoyed Willy's Wonderland. So that will be an interesting film to check out. As I'm really interested as Jason Blum has scored another big horror property. Still waiting on him to get his hands on Nightmare on Elm Street. Or Friday the 13th, for that matter. Because you know he's going to get one or both of them soon. Once they come up. Because that's Jason Blum, everybody. You can't stop him. He's the kingpin of horror. In other news, before I go into this piece of news, I will be talking about spoilers for X. Listener discretion advised, because I'm going to spoil the ending of that film. So if you don't want to listen to this news story, I suggest you skip ahead about five, five and a half minutes. A24 recently released the teaser trailer to the sequel to X. That's right, we are getting a sequel to X. We already have a prequel, Pearl, that's currently in theaters. Now, next year, we will get a sequel to X. The film's going to be titled Maxine. It's based on the main character of X. The film is set to take place in the 80s, there wasn't much in the teaser trailer. It was like more like a video cassette style promo going to the wave of 80s new wave music. This film is bringing back Ty West and Mia Goth. I cannot wait for this film, quite frankly. This will probably be one of my most anticipated films of the year. I thought X was a excellent film. It is right now the best film of 2022. It's really a great film. I really highly recommend everyone check out X. It's just such a great film. Now, on the thing about the sequel, Maxine. I was really hoping there would be a sequel, quite frankly. As I really loved... The ending to X. When they revealed the whole televangelist sermon in the background angle. It was like in the background in the entire film. But we didn't know what that meant. We got a clue to what that meant. It revealed that Maxine ran away from her evangelical father as they were talking basically about how she gave in to sin now x took place in the 1970s 
Maxine's going to take place in the 1980s. I really wonder if the evangelical angle will play into this film. As that was my takeaway of the ending to X. The whole thing about the evangelical angle. Which really didn't play a big factor. But it revealed a major background information about your main character. I wonder if somehow they're the bad guys in the third film. Or it's just a completely different story all around. It's going to be very interesting, quite frankly. Seriously. Because I don't know why you would do that. Leave the film with the whole evangelical reveal that Maxine ran away from her evangelical father. If you're not going to pay it off somewhere down the line. I'm really hoping that it goes that route that somehow they try to bring her back home in some demented cult. Because literally, that's, I think, the only reason why you would bring that up at the end of X. If you were going to continue the story from there. If you don't continue the story from there, how's it going to make sense, quite frankly? You know? Because... You're teasing something. Because that's what I took away from this whole evangelical background broadcast scenes. That they were teasing something in case of a third film. And that ending really did leave an open for that third film with that ending of that broadcast. So I really hope they continue with that angle. I know it might be preachy, but if you're going that way, you might as well have a payoff to that ending. Because I do think there's a payoff to that ending somewhere. I don't know what it is, quite frankly. But there's got to be some sort of payoff to that ending of X. That will hit theaters next year. That film has not even been filmed yet or cast yet. The only thing we know is Ty West is coming back to direct. And Mia Goth is coming back to star. That's it. And it takes place in Los Angeles in the 1980s. That will easily be one of my most anticipated films of 2023. As I got a feeling that film will probably come out. I think probably summertime. As I don't expect another quick turnaround like X and Pearl. As I got a feeling it'll probably come out sometime in the second half of next year. But I'll keep you informed when this casting announcement. Because I'm very interested in this film. And I got a feeling it's probably going to be one of the most anticipated horror films of 2023. With that, that's the news. Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast where the discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. If you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. 
And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers were smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right, exactly. www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back. Now, recently, yours truly went to CT Horror Fest over in Norgatuck, Connecticut. It was a convention that took place on September 16th through September 17th. Yours truly went on September 17th. Going into this year's convention, I was really hoping not for a repeat of last year. Last year was such a disaster. Let's see. Lines out the door. You had... Way too many people there. The AC in the place broke. I was kind of worried going into this convention that this convention would be like last year and have all the same problems again. Well, thankfully, it did not have all the same problems again, literally. First of all, I think this was very well run this year. I thought the layout, I think, is better as they had people to the side as well as you had like guests at the front in the back and you had a one side towards the doors and one side towards the back guests where all the anthrax band members were so the layout looked very good the vendors were for the most part were very good as well one of the things I picked up was like a shirt with like a ghost face coffee shirt. It's like it was like one of those shirts literally where I laid my eyes on it and I knew I had to have that shirt. It was like a parody of a Starbucks logo. And it's like I was like having my eyes on this hammer Twins of Evil shirt. But when I saw the Ghostface coffee shirt, I knew I had to get that one. You will see me in a photo of that very soon. Trust me. As I will post a photo of that on the social media pages to get you to see what I meant by Ghostface coffee. Because I love that shirt. Seriously. Thankfully, that was the only shirt I got. Because usually at cons, I get like four, five, six, seven shirts. I'm trying to limit out my number of shirts because I've brought way too many at other cons in years past. And I still haven't worn them. So literally, that's all I did is buy one shirt. I brought this neat water bottle with like Scream 1, Scream 2, Scream 3, all the Scream films basically in like video cassette form. It's like a little decoration where around the bottle you would have all these Scream films as if you're getting them on a VHS cassette. Love the artwork on it, so I decided to get that. I also picked up some action films from VS, the VSAs, non-horror films, I also picked up some artwork as well. 
from along the spectrum. And also grabbed a couple of film posters as well to wrap up my spending. But it's all about the celebrities at these conventions. And for me, this time around, this felt like Comic-Con level, in which I got to meet many celebrities. I first entered the building, met Jeffrey Coombs, very nice person. Got Romania and Italy mixed up. So what? I don't know why I thought that way. When talking about Castle Freak, but at 10 o'clock in the morning, you're just getting ready to get going at a convention. Then I ran over to the other side of the building to meet... Judith O'Day, and Kyra Shran from the original Night of the Living Dead. Not the countless number of remakes. The original Night of the Living Dead. Talking about the 1968 film, not the countless number of remakes. The 1968 original film, everyone. Both very nice people. Probably two of my favorite people I met at the whole convention. Then afterwards, I ran all the way back down to the other end of the building, met Barbara Crampton, very nice person, then ran back to the other side of the building, met Ian McCulloch from Zombie, the Lucio Fulci film, Zombie, or Zombie 2, if we're talking Italian terms here. So... He was a very nice gentleman. It was great meeting an Italian film actor. And you would think by then I'd be done with the autographs as I got all these people done by 11 o'clock in one hour, literally. And this was a big convention. Don't get me wrong. It's just, for me, there was a lot of luck. Because I know Judith O'Day's line later on picked up. And some of the other ones may have picked up as well. I'm not 100% positive on that aspect. But I know Judith O'Day's line picked up when I went down there like 12. So I decided to walk around. Met Killer Kelly from Impact Wrestling. As I'm starting to watch a lot of Impact Wrestling the last couple months. Definitely check out Impact Wrestling. Very nice person. As throwbacks had her... As a guest, it was nice to have a wrestler there as well. As I like wrestlers as well, too, at my conventions. So after that celebrity I met, I thought I was done. Then my friend was in a long line. So I decided to hit up Aaron Armstrong from Halloween Kills, who played flashback Michael Myers in that film. Nice guy. Then I also hit up... Robert Brian Wilson from Silent Night, Deadly Night. Also another very nice guy. Normally, I would not hit these people up. Because usually, I try to limit what I'm spending. But, well, I had some time and some cash. And why not? I love both of those films a lot. Especially Silent Night, Deadly Night. Which is sad because that film never got its due when it first came out. Because... That film was heavily censored. And one of the things I hate is censorship, quite frankly. And that was a film that was censored in the 1980s. Who knows today? This probably gets censored, doesn't even make it to the theaters today. But back in the 80s, this film was heavily censored. But if it wasn't for the fact the film got censored by all these parent groups and everything, 
And we'd still not be talking about this film to this day, as it's a very good film. Number two, on the other hand, is a different story. But Silent Night, Deadly Night, the first one, it's just a very good film. I really highly recommend you check it out if you haven't yet. It's just a very good slasher film. Forget all the controversy and everything. It's a great slasher film. And with that, that wraps up all the celebrities I met. I met about, I'm counting, four, six, eight. I usually don't meet eight people at CT Horror Fest. I'm lucky to meet four or five, quite frankly. But I met eight people in that convention. And besides all the celebrities I met, I also got to meet Sean Clock from Howard's Hollowed Grounds. If you've not seen a documentary series on YouTube, find it. It's great. You may have seen him at various conventions with the various talents. He's a very cool guy. Got a photo with him. It was nice meeting him. Well, I got in, got out on a lot of these lines. And it happened that most of these lines had nobody there. That's why I got to get eight autographs and meet Sean Clark and get a selfie with him at this con. This is like Comic-Con level for me. I usually come away from a Comic-Con getting seven or eight autographs. But to get eight autographs in one day is like... Probably a record for me, quite frankly, because I never have gotten eight autographs. Well, enough with that. I enjoyed this convention, had a fun time. You can hear more about my thoughts about this with Andrew Durant on our Two From Hell podcast in October, in which we'll talk about this convention in full detail. Only problem is they still need to get out of that building. It was kind of packed, but at least the AC worked this time. And there was no lines out the door. I give them a lot of credit for going to two days. Maybe that helped, but they still need to move this convention to another place. It would be nice. Like somewhere in a casino would be nice. Seriously, think about it. Casino or a hotel. That would be another good place for a convention. But overall, I had a very fun time and much better experience than I did last year at CT Horror Fest. Every day, there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness. There's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment. And there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer. And they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scaresack Care is a 100% volunteer organization and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scaresack Care, you can go to www.scaresackcare.org. Every donation helps Scaresack Care 
fight real monsters. Hey guys, this is Steven Christina. I'm the founder, owner, creator, and host of Super Retro Throwback Reviews. Are you looking for the best movie reviews, music reviews, video game reviews, and Comic-Con coverage all around? Well then look no further. Definitely check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on YouTube and our new audio podcast, the new and improved Super Retro Throwback Reviews audio files version 2.0 on the following media distributors. Podbean, Google Play, Stitchers, SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. Pass is over, John. Time for something new and improved. Welcome back to NFT's Horror and Wrestling Show. I am here with directors Jameson Lacasio and Adam Ambrosio, as they are here to talk about their new horror anthology film, How Dark They Pray. How are you doing today, gentlemen? Good, very, very good. Thanks so much for having us, Anthony. Yes. Thank you. What made each of you get into filmmaking? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I always was a fan of film from my dad and from my family. Uh, always loved Star Wars and movies like that, Indiana Jones. And um, was never really into horror as a kid, but was into other kinds of movies. And, uh, and then Adam has a different story. Yeah, no, as, as a kid, I grew up on movies, especially horror movies. I used to have, uh, I believe, a thing on Laserdisc back in the day. Um, Halloween, I watched religiously. Any type of movies you could think of, I, I was a, a movie buff. And uh, my dad was also in the industry, so I grew up around, uh, you know, uh, looking at sets and you know, being on sets and kind of being submerged into the, the movies. Yeah, and, something we had to do. Adam, you mentioned you never were fond of horror. What got you into horror? Oh yeah, that was me. Yep, uh, I I got into horror because of uh, because of Adam. Yeah, he really showed me a lot of horror films. But it was really Halloween that was the one that got me into it because I never grew up on them. My parents were not um, big on them, not for any reason other than the fact that we just didn't watch them that much. And I really loved Halloween. And I thought it was such a great movie. So that kind of broke it open for me. But he showed me hundreds of other horror films prior to us making our last film. That was called No Fear. And it was really a great experience. It was a lot of fun. It was the type of research that, that you could only hope to do because it was so much fun. You have a new film called How Dark They Pray, which is currently out on VOD. Tell everyone about the film. Yeah, it's a four uh, anthology stories dealing with um, the different aspects of people's beliefs and convictions uh, and how how far they will go to get them. It's mainly uh, dark stories, four of them, one of them being um, involved with aliens, uh, another one dealing with uh, World War II, uh, another thriller like uh, Slasher, yep. and... Um, Slasher of uh, World War II, Aliens, uh, homage, a lot homage, of homage. Yeah, Lovecraftian, a lot of love. Uh, a little bit of, yeah, perspective and ground foot perspective, getting a little bit of an homage also to Halloween, I guess, Psycho. But a lot of the movies that we really like and want to sort of look at. A lot at of inspiration. A lot of our inspiration. What made you decide to make a horror anthology instead of a traditional horror film with this film? Uh, that's a good question. We wanted to... Uh, take advantage of some great stories that we had to tell. Uh, and Adam had come up with the concept for Blood Beach, which I thought was really great. And we sort of backtracked then looking at 
Um, we brought in the War Story. We brought in Encounter Nightly, which was an alien uh, an alien concept that I sort of brought to the table uh, after watching a lot of Project Blue Book and not seeing much found footage uh, with aliens. And then uh, and then Nelly was actually from my father, which is a strange occurrence. He just said, I have an interesting story, maybe a play on Psycho and black and white. You know, maybe you could do something with it. So we brought those all together and we're watching a lot of anthologies and said, why don't we do this as one big piece? And it could be a great movie to make, especially during the pandemic and all the things that are going on, because it was small, it was it was very tight, and it was it was something that people were passionate about. What is the screen process like as each of the stories are different and could be considered short films in theory? What is the writing process? Yes. The writing process. Was it like literally you just wrote one short, then wrote another short, then another short, and another short, and made it a film? Originally what we did was um, we had two of the uh, stories already written out for a full feature. And uh, we knew that it would be probably a few years, maybe a decade, before we actually got to them with the, the budget that it needed. And uh, and at the time, we were also looking at a lot of in, uh, anthology uh, films. I mean, Twilight Zone, and also we got inspired by Project Blue Book, which, uh, which uh, influenced us to do Encounter Nightly. So we had really a couple stories fleshed out, but we wanted to conceal them, con- you know, consolidate them actually fit into the anthology so it was we feel like it was giving them the proper attention that it deserved rather than just sitting you know on a shelf somewhere waiting to be you know produced so then we had fun with it we were able to uh schedule the uh, the films uh, nicely in terms of the production so we just you know micro really kind of managed it into something yeah. that would fit you know what we were and they were very much shot one short film at a time that was really the mentality for that, was to get them right, shoot them one day at a time, but over the course of months, you know, one day on this month, one that month. And that made it very straightforward. I noticed the film has no wraparound segment that connects all the films. What made you guys go with the decision not to have a wraparound segment in your film? Uh, that's a good question. Um we wanted, I think we sort of liked the idea of having them be disconnected until they're connected. Uh, and we sort of didn't want to change the scope of them by adding something over the top, you know. And, but I, I mean over the top of all of them, not over the top. Uh, but like something, a good example like John Carpenter's Body Bags, you know, or that whole movie made by those people. It was a fun little segment in between with, you know, with Carpenter where he was there, and it was fun, it was funny. Um, the trick with us was we didn't want to make it something different as well. We wanted it, each story to stand on their own, then have a black in between, and then sort of bring them all together in an unexpected way. We felt that was probably either more effective or more what we want. Another thing I noticed was the film started off with two found footage segments, The Occult and Encounter Nightly. What was the factor in starting this film with two found footage segments? I think that just could have been uh, something that we just really wanted to do. I think found footage was definitely new to us in terms of we haven't done it before. Yeah. So really just kind of, you know, sharpening our axe with it, you know, preparing for it, doing it once, twice, you know, really just kind of 
it was like a training ground, really. He wanted to see if we could do it, and we wanted to try it as much as we could. And to tell you the truth, the, the intro, the, the cult scene, we realized that, all right, uh, anthology is a little too short. Let's, you know, let's have to make it a little bit longer. So, you know, I, I don't think it was really actually planned. It wasn't really planned to be in there, but we just came out at the end and said, look, let's, we have this cool idea. Let's just do it really quickly. And, uh, and we were able to. We were, as Jameson said, we were able to do everything, all these uh, anthologies, in uh, one day. So we were able to do it in uh, six hours. So we just and, and yeah, and also Adam did a great job on Encounter Nightly as first-time director, especially too. And I, it felt like the audience grabber. It felt like it had. It was funny, but it also was very interesting. It was different. So it felt like the right one to start with, from my perspective. Well was let's start with this film because, again, I think it had kind of encapsulates a lot of what you see. So I think a lot of uh, first-time filmmakers, directors, producers, uh, nowadays they start with their iPhones or the camera that they, they, they got from their parents. And, you know, it, you know, when they make their first film, it looks, you know, it's amateurish, it's not Hollywood, it's not grandly cinematic. It is what it is. Um... And I think uh, found footages are, are very much like that. Not, uh, but, but they're good. I love found footage. So I think for a first-time director or producer, a found footage wouldn't be that bad. Because it's, um, you, you know, there's less rules or less uh, barriers for you to, uh, to be caught up on. Yeah. And uh, the way that we, uh, we produced it, everybody, everybody was great. And um, it, was a, it was a good experience. This film has segments that involve UFOs, World War II, and old school slasher films. Were either of you fascinated by these when writing the screenplay? Yes, absolutely. Um, Twilight Zone was a big one, and Rod Serling at that at that time and that place was so ahead of time. You know, he was so phenomenal at creating stories with very, I would say, probably very limited budgets and scopes. And he found something that resonated with an audience still to this day. I mean, you could watch Twilight Zone and it's scarier than a lot of horror films nowadays that are even made. And that's saying something. Um, so we were fascinated by that. Definitely fascinated by the haunted house, black and white, you know, movies like Psycho, but even like uh, uh, Abbott and Costello, old, old movies like that, where they have a certain mentality. Um, so very fascinated by that. Definitely Evil Dead was one of my big influences. I loved Evil Dead uh, when Adam showed it to me. And it seemed like a fun idea to sort of take different things we loved and try to put it together in, in a way that's not expected. Uh, and then World War II is something that we really love uh, and we're always talking about. We've worked on other projects with it, but we never got a chance to make a live-action movie where we can deal a little bit with World War II, uh, which is something we love. And we also noticed in the Twilight Zone that they dealt a lot with war and with uh, stories like that. So we wanted to try those, too. Jameson, you direct the bulk of this film. Tell everyone about each of the segments that you direct. Uh, yeah, it's a great question. Um, each one of them were very different, very, very different, and they required a different level of care, I guess you could say. Um, the World War II film, for me, was a lot about the actors, and about a little bit of their backstories and where they were coming from, trying to give them a sense of history because they had very limited time to deal with what they were doing. And the directing style was very 
very simplistic. It was just taking, you know, not the Saving Private Ryan look of the shaky cam, but maybe looking at other movies, you know, behind enemy lines and things like that. How do these movies work? What makes them more exciting? Um, especially because we're in one place. In terms of Blood Beach, that was an interesting one. That was really approached more like Jaws and like B, B monster movies, like Roger Corman, even B monster movies. And other ones, like the, like you say, the Blob. Uh, but we looked at that as a 1970s and back uh, B-monster B movie. I think that was really the way that was approached. And Mark Lubbers brought that in his performance. And Nelly was, you know, homage to Psycho in a way that is looked at through today's lens. You know, what is it about it that Psycho still works by today's standards? But also there's some elements of it that are very fun, are funny, and be interesting when spun a different way. So that was also approached like yeah, Nelly seemed to be different from all the other films in that film. Yeah, it's it's definitely different. And, and again, I got to give credit to my father. I thought it was a great idea. And my approach to it was to sort of try to bring the comedy out of it, but that was difficult. You know, my first reaction to it was, you know, maybe this is too wacky. Uh, and Adam encouraged me to put it in there, so credit to him. But then the the job of directing it was, wow, I got to think about this as a comedy. It's so different. You know, how do you make these things funny? So looking at traditional, you know, films, like Howard Hawks films or, or um, you know, like His Girl Friday or even Chaplin films, like why is something funny? You know, that's sort of what we looked at. A lot of the stories that you directed had a sense of dread to them. What made you want each of the stories, with the exception of Nelly, have a dreadful tone? Uh, that's a good question. They... You know, all of them deal in a level of suspense, whether and whether you're doing a thriller, which is really its own kind of suspense, and then you're doing a horror film, there are, there is sort of hopefully always that sense that you're building towards something. And I think in a horror film, um, the difference is you're building towards uh, or building up in, in anticipation with a level of dread or with a level of danger until it either releases or it doesn't. Um, and a lot of the best movies, which is what Adam sort of taught me about from the beginning, you know, that, that dread sort of never releases. So, uh, yeah, thank you for that. I, I think that's an element that we were trying to bring into all, uh, you know, into, into them all or in different ways. What was it like directing Harrowing compared to the other shorts? Is that film is mostly performance-driven. Um, yeah, I think certain films call for a lot less camera work and a lot less, um, you know, how is this going to move here and how is that going to move here? And I looked a lot at Kurosawa films. Um, Kurosawa does a lot of great things with characters in threes, and he usually works in triangles, which is something that I'm interested in, in terms of blocking. So it was constantly involving the people that weren't talking into the shot was part of the directing. That was really the focus of the directing of that film, because there is nothing else except these three guys. So how you play them has to be as good as it would be on a stage. But more than that, it has to be within frame, and it has to also mean something. If somebody moves this way, it has to mean something. If they're removed from the situation, that has to mean something. So it was sort of blocking them with the intent of every single moment, because the audience also notices the character that isn't doing something just as much as the character that is. So that was looking at Kurosawa films um, like Rush Amon, a lot of other great movies that he's made, and trying to see how does he deal with just a couple characters in nature. How does he block yeah, that? You know, and that's also a big element, too, is just the nature itself. You know, how does he bring in a sense of the environment without um, needing a lot of bells and whistles? 
you know, what does it feel like? And he does a great job at that, so I always try to watch. One of the best shorts on your film is Nelly, which is more of a comedic horror film. What were the inspirations behind that short? Adam had taught me a lot of, uh, really about Evil Dead. So credit credit to him, because I really didn't know about Evil Dead until he showed me it. And that was really one of them. And then also was Psycho. You know, it was Psycho, and I would even say Texas Chainsaw, too. So, and I'd, lo- I'd love to have you chime in about anything else or what you saw in it, because I was unsure about it at first. No, too. definitely. When I mean, going back when, when Jameson said, hey, should we put Nelly into this? Uh, and I read it. A lot of his influences, really, of Evil Dead, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, really, uh, in Psycho, really just shine through because that's where we started when we, uh, when we were, when I was showing Jameson some movies. He loved Evil Dead. He gravitated to Texas Chainsaw. Loved Psycho, and it really showed uh, in Nelly what what inspired him. And, uh, and I think Nelly's a, a great film. It's probably one of the best because it compares to the other three. It gives you exactly what you want. You get the blood and guts, you get the humor, you get the dread within it, and it, 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 it's a perfect combination, really. But uh, the best thing about it, I think, was really just seeing his inspiration grow uh, of horror film, and then it turning into Nelly. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah, that's really cool. And that, you got to give him a lot of credit, because he had to recognize that as a producer. And a lot of times, producers either maybe look at the money or whatever it is, but, I mean, he took a big risk on that. And so that that's a lot of credit to him being a smart, I think, a smart producer. But people, the audience has responded to that big time. Yeah, I think that's probably the best short of the entire film. Oh. Thank you, Evan. What made you want to have that film in black and white compared to all the other short films in the film? The idea behind it was not just to make it different, because that really wasn't the goal. The goal was to try to look at why black and white pictures themselves work so well, you know, um, and it's it's an almost unfathomable to any audience, and certainly to me sitting there looking at it, how effective they really are, um, because they deal in shades of black and shades of white and shades of gray. Those things are so simple to look at, but they also have such great contrast, and they're actually in some ways sometimes more powerful, more interesting. And it's just not done that often because distributors are afraid of black and white. And I've actually been told that before, don't do this in black and white. So I've kind of wanted to do that for a long time, and it seemed like the right place at the right time to try to do it. Moving to Adam, you got to direct your first short film, Encounter Nightly. What was it like getting the chance to direct a segment as this was your first time directing? It was good. It was great, actually. Um... I remember when we were talking about uh, how we're going to schedule everything, we were sitting down and we were talking about, I don't know, it was just producing stuff like that, and then Jameson says, oh, why don't you direct this? And then I'm like, uh, let me think about it, you know? And, and I remember saying, I'll think about it, and it became like three weeks to a month, <laughs> and, I, and, and I'm still saying, you know what, I'll think about it. And then eventually I think it just came down to it, and I'll say, yeah, I'll do it. And uh, I, I was I, I was really kind of like nervous because I'm I'm used to you know being behind the camera but not behind the camera I'm I'm usually really far from the camera or at least I try to be and 
So, uh, so it was it, it was a little nerve wracking, but but as soon as we got to set, and Jameson was really a trooper with this because he helped me schedule and, and, and you know really get everything that I needed to you know to do it to physically do it, and, and he helped me with uh, with terms and just you know uh, just just basic directing stuff that I didn't really pay attention to because I, I, I leave that to Jameson that's his forte. So when I asked him for help, it, it, it really meant a lot. And going on to the set, it was it, it was nerve-wracking, but everybody there, cast and crew, really helped me out a lot. They could see that you know it was, I was uh, that it was my first time directing, and I think that you know they said you know what let's let's step up to the plate a little bit more, and you know give him the support, and that's what they gave me. Really, it was it, it was an interesting experience that I probably never. What were some of the difficulties that you had in making this? I think it was really just um, knowing all the director stuff, really. I mean, we've done so many uh, films, shorts, and full features, and I'm there, and I see it happening hour by hour, and sometimes it just goes right past my head. Um, There's a lot of technical aspects that are are alien to me. I, I look at it more sim- simple, and I do that with my music as well. Or at least I have—that's my language—is music. Music uh, film is is a completely different language. But um, really, just getting all the uh, you know the blocking, making sure uh, uh, everything is on good terms, uh, uh, making sure we have enough light in the in the day to film. You know, setting up cameras, light exposure. All that stuff, it, it was all new to me. And, but, uh, James had helped me out, and they all helped me out. Yeah, mainly it was just, just the nerves and just making sure that everything that had to be there was there. Adam, would you consider doing this again? No, no. I mean, to tell you the truth, um, maybe later down the line. Um, I, I, I think uh, if, a good, if I have a good team, which I do, Jameson and Nicole Rakowski, who is our sound lady, she did, a, she did a great job with all the films, they, uh, and the actors, they, they all help me out. So yeah, if we have a great team and, you know, and, you know, and I put in the time, the effort, and the work to learn more about directing, because it, it, it is a very confusing job. It's, very, it's a lot more, I've had, and more appreciated James, and it, it, it is very stressful. So, um, yeah, I think with the, you know, the right training, the right, you know, determination, yeah, I would do it again. To his credit, Anthony, I want to say this to him. I want to say this for the viewers, too, especially for those who have not directed. This was a particularly challenging film because it, it, it dealt with a number of actors in a confined space. And so I don't want to upstage the answering question. But the truth is that the, the, the thing that was so great about what he was able to do was he was able to maintain that set in a very small space, shoot a lot of coverage, and with a lot of actors. And I, I personally think every time you add an actor into the movie, just, it multiplies the amount of problems, issues, coverage, and everything you need. So to his credit, that sequence that happens at the end of the movie, the climax, was actually a very, and I didn't think about this, but the truth is that was a real fight to be in as a director. It was a really tough fight to be in, and it was really difficult to pull that off. And I think he did a great job. Um, so credit to him. 
But honestly, as a director, you never realize the ones that are going to really take you down and the ones that are going to really challenge you. That was that was a bear, so to speak. It was really difficult, and he did a great job. Who was the easiest segment to work on and the most challenging segment to work on? Oh, easiest segment. Blood Beach. Yeah, Blood Beach was probably the easiest um, because of the the obvious reasons and then the less obvious reasons, I guess. But we just having two actors on a beach was almost like being on vacation. You know, it was a lot of fun, and Mike, Mark, Mark Lovers, we always say he was sitting in that lawn chair, looking at the water, smoking a cigar. Yeah, and he was uh, happy. Let's put we, it that we, way. We were all happy. We were all happy. We had a beach to ourselves. It was really nice. It was nice. quiet. It was really nice. It, it was actually a little bit eerie because it almost seemed like it wasn't really yeah. there, in a sense. Like, how could this be here? Just, you know, yeah, it, it was it was a really nice, beautiful experience, and you actually had a clear mind doing it too. Yeah. Like the sand was a little tricky, but those guys were so willing, and they wanted to be in it. You could exist in the world with them and, and create a film. It was great. Um, the hardest one—that's a toss-up, I guess. Um, I felt I had sort of a hard time with Nellie because of timing reasons. I mean, um, it's a little hard to say. Maybe it's a harder, but. Counter Knightly had some interesting challenges. In some ways, that was the hardest, um, which I don't think we anticipated. So it's a little bit of a toss-up on that one. Besides your film, you have a YouTube channel called Film Valor, which features a lot of things like movie discussions, filmmaking tips, and previews for your films. What made the both of you want to make a channel more of a hybrid of all these things? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. Well, this is really from Adam, because what happened was, is I had made, I had directed my first feature, and it, it, it went well, but we realized, like, there might be an easier way to do things, because it was really like running uphill, getting shot at. I mean, it was crazy. So, we realized this is not really the only way to do it. What if we can do something else? So Adam and I talked about that a lot, but it was really, the film valor was really then the combination of the two of us working together and him becoming a producer, but also coming in with interesting concepts. And I kind of always had a, a weird dream of sort of having a YouTube channel, but, you know, I went through so many versions of it, I didn't know if I wanted to do it. But when he brought it in, brought it in, it was, that was film balance. And it was, oh, let's, let's try to do a bunch of Adam's concepts, um, because really a lot of those first ones were. Um, we also were doing a lot of speaking at little, you know, events for students. Right. And we were talking to students a lot, and they had a lot of great questions about how to make films. And when you're in the game for like eight to twelve years, you do realize you pick up a lot of stuff that you could explain in, in maybe a three-hour lecture, but you'd only get some of it. Um, and so we started doing some of that, and then we made a channel out of how to make films for young people who want to do what we're doing, or maybe like us when we were younger. But a lot of credit to Adam coming in with fresh concepts. And then we just started working together ever since as producer, director, and then both writers. And he always does the music. Well, how did they pray get a physical release? Well, that's a good question. Uh, we're, I'm a big fan of DVDs. Yeah, we do love DVDs. And the, the No Fear DVD actually did uh, sell quite well. And it had a special features uh, element to it. And it was well designed with the people from Allied Vaughn. Um, who do major DVD distribution, actually on studio films even, too. So that was awesome to do. Um, so we might be doing a DVD release, yeah, just depending, because uh, we have so many platform releases over the next six months. I think we're already on six platforms. 
I couldn't name them all right here, but it's, it's Prime and Watch Movies Now. And then there's a number of other ones, Moodbox, Zoo, or something like that. There's so many of them. <laughs> but we're on six. So we might be getting a physical after we, we do the run. Where can they find you guys both on social media? The best place is Film Valor on YouTube. That's where we are. We're also a little bit on Instagram if you want to check us out there. But Film Valor on YouTube is really our home. Jameson, Adam, I want to thank you for coming on to my podcast. Thank you so much, Anthony. You asked probably some of the best questions that we've had, actually. I yeah. want to say that. You really did. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And have a good day. Thank you. You too. Take care. They're coming to get you, Barbara. This is Carrie. This is Billy. This is Mr. Boat. And we are from a podcast from beneath. You can catch us every Wednesday wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You'll find Anthony T's Power and Wrestling Show on these social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and the Slasher app at Anthony T's Power and Wrestling and on Twitter at Anthony Power. You'll find new episodes on DocDiscussions.com, major podcast providers, and YouTube. What's Anthony T watching this episode? Well, I told you in the beginning that I was going to get high with my film review this episode. As I will be talking about James Balsamo's latest film from Dusk Till Bong. Now, this is technically a sequel to Bite School because it features the main character from Bite School. But this is also a typical James Balsamo film, as you have various cameos first. You have Eric Roberts, you have Charles Wright in a major role. If you don't know who Charles Wright is, he was in the WWE as Papa Shingo, The Good Father, and The Godfather. You have WWE legend Hacksaw Jim Duncan, and you have... Pool Party Massacre director Drew Mavic as well. So with that cast alone, it's already worth checking out. Now add also the fact that it's everything you have in a James Balsamo film. The gore, the exploitive elements, and you get a trauma-like film. As most of James Balsamo's films are trauma-like films. This one was no different. This one was a very good film. I had a very good time watching this film. And uh, one of the reasons why I think I enjoyed this film a lot is that it really does a good job with the story here. And the fact that it just moves. I like the fact that I liked it had action. It had very good humor. It had a story to just... Was so out there that it's just so crazy that it just got me into this film. As let's face it, James Balsamo is the closest thing to Lloyd Kaufman you will ever get. As he always does a great job in delivering everything. And I also think he really did a great job making sure 
that this was gory. As this was, I have to admit, one of his goriest films. I know a lot of his films are gory, but this one was even gorier. And I really like the way he uses the blood elements of it. As it just uses it for tongue-in-cheek, which really helps make it entertaining and fun to watch. And that's what I look for in films like this, quite frankly. He also does a great job with the way he writes the humor in this film, as I really think the humor is done well enough that it's laughable. You're just enjoying the ride. It's just, like, literally fun to watch. And also another thing that I really liked was the vampire makeup here. As I really have to admit, that was like one of the best things about this film was the way all the vampires looked. Not huge monster ones, but like the regular typical vampires that you normally see in a traditional film. I like how they had a very good unique look to it. I like how Tom Devlin and his team really did a great job with the makeup effects on the way they looked. It really added something to this film as literally everything had a unique feel to each of the vampires look. As you weren't getting traditional vampires all the time because it was just crazy. It added to the absurdity of this film. Plus, James Balsamo was great in an acting capacity. Anytime this film went into humorous territory, I really think he just has that gift for humor. He really makes the humor come off very well on screen. Because he is a very good comedian, along with being a good horror director as well. He has that Lloyd Kaufman mentality. Which really makes him very good. Let's Again, I'm going to say this like I said before. He's probably the next Lloyd Kaufman, quite frankly. After Lloyd Kaufman is done filmmaking, you just have James Balsamo left. Literally. If you're looking to outrageous, entertaining horror films that always seem to work well. James Balsamo just... Has a presence on screen every time he's in a comedy aspect. As he really makes the humor of his screenplays work very well. From dust till bong delivers a lot of blood. A lot of action. And very good humor. And a really good performance from James Balsambo. If you're looking for good laughs and gory action. Definitely check out From Dust. Till bang, it will make you get high on horror films. I told you in the beginning of the program that on filmarcademedia.com, I had not one but two reviews up on the site. I have first my review of Terror Fire 2, one of the most anticipated horror films of the year, period. That review is up on the site. And coming soon, if not already, Don't Bleep in the Woods 2. That's right, Don't Bleep in the Woods 2. I would say the word, but I can't say it. This is kind of a PG-PG-13 show, so I can't say Don't Bleep 
in the woods, too. I have my review on that film as well. The latest episode of Two From Hell is up on Film Arcade Media's YouTube channel, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify under Two From Hell Movie Podcasts. Check that out. As both me and Andrew talk about what horror films get us in the mood for Halloween. We also go into CT Horror Fest and various news items as well. With that, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe to Film Arcade Media on YouTube. With that, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a good day. Support indie wrestling and support indie horror. This has been a Film Arcade Media production.